Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkulov. I'm here to help Paul run through the big stories of the week that have appeared at thisiscommonsense.org. That's Common Sense with Paul Jacob. It's his program he's been doing since 1999. This week started off with Labor Day. We didn't have a column on Monday, Labor Day at all. No, we didn't. We skipped. We cheated. It's uh, our, our new packaging is not quite a half gallon of ice cream. It's a little bit less. Uh, we had a meme on uh, on the 5th of September, which was Labor Day. And our meme, you should flash it on the screen. We honored labor, but not this loser. And you can see the arrow pointing to Karl Marx, who, um, you know, sure has become very famous. But I just, you know, and I read uh, during my short stint at uh, college, um, I read quite a bit of Marxist stuff and, and um, it's infuriating, but it's not very smart. Uh, and I never quite got it. Uh, I never quite got why it was so intellectually intriguing. Well, of course, most of it's because of revolutionary thought. It's, it gives an excuse to commit a revolution and the people who want revolutions want an excuse. So that's, that's really it. And actually, there's something interesting that's in this. It's coming up. There's a major paper in a, in a journal of uh, economics. I don't remember which one. Uh, Phil Magnus is one of the co-authors. It shows that Karl Marx's reputation is almost entirely a result of the propaganda and the uh, state uh, promotion of Marx's writing by Lenin and Stalin. It shows that Marx was not being discussed much. He was was an insignificant economist until the Bolsheviks got into power and began pushing Marx and subsidizing his work in the United States and Britain and elsewhere. And that this is going to be a huge piece because it's going to blow the industry out of the water. It's going to show that this is politics driving an industry, economics to some degree, more than economics driving economics. How serious an economist do you think Karl Marx was? I read two books by Karl Marx before I read any other economist. And after I started reading economics, I think that's when I, then I read the opening chapters of Das Kapital. And I believe that I've never read worse economics than the first few chapters. Uh, he approaches what I consider the great truth of value, and he mocks it. And he goes another direction, and I think the direction is completely fallacious. And so I don't think there's any real value in Karl Marx's economics because certainly on the microeconomics grounds, the explanation for why prices form the way they do, why people do the things they do, it's all wrong. Labor is not the source of value, even if labor is the source of many valuable things. Well, we took a swipe at Karl Marx. That's, that's popular in some quarters still. And, uh, and so there, there you have it. On Tuesday... We, we went off the rails, really. We took a shot at what is now, you know, not that big a deal, lying. The piece was called The Liars. And I think what's most interesting about it is who was doing the lying and who was being lied to. And geez, everybody's probably already guessed, our public schools an institution you might think had 
tremendous esteem in our communities is doing the lying as a matter of policy. This isn't some people got nervous and told a lie. This is, okay, everybody, we're going to lie. Here's, here's what we want. Here's the lies you need to tell. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of, I can't remember right off the bat, and I don't have my glasses on. So uh, Pamela uh, Ricard, uh, Richard, it's a Kansas school. Uh, it's not San Francisco. It wasn't uh, Seattle. And uh, there's a case I'm thinking about doing something on in, in uh, Virginia where same, same thing happened, basically. And what's happening is kids who are saying, I'm, you know, I don't identify as a, as a male, I identify as a female or vice versa or, or something along those lines are choosing new pronouns and new names, uh, you know, to fit the gender uh, in our genderless society. And, uh, and the schools want to, I think they want to desperately encourage that. But let's be generous and say they want to enable that. They want to be a warm and friendly place for which that new bird to land. And, and the truth is that's the type of school I'd want to send my kid to. Um, but nothing about that place to land when, you, when you're an adult and reasonable and thoughtful, when you look at this situation, do you say, okay, so we're going to want everyone to call them by these new names and new pronouns. That's, that's how you would kind of do that. You, you, I wouldn't use force, but of course they do because that's how they, that's how they roll. But the next step, is the step that just everyone, everyone, and I mean 97, 98, 99.285% of the people have to realize you, the next step cannot be so, but don't call them those names in front of their parents. In front of their parents, it's important that you call them the names that it would be a, a crime against humanity almost to call them at any other time as if, okay, when is lying? Okay. Lying's okay. When the Nazi stormtrooper stops you and asks you a question that if you tell the truth to someone's going to die or you might die, then lie. That's the exception. And anything really close to that, I'm giving it to you. You can lie. Parents are not the Nazis. And I know that schools think they are, but they're not. And, and you just cannot have a society in which you lie to the parents. As a matter of course, you compel their kids to come to school and then reserve the right to lie about what's happening in school to those kids and with those kids. And, uh, and to me, this is not, look, I, I, I'm, willing I, in social circumstances i want to just be get along with people at almost any cost um i i just think it's silly in this short life of ours to not get along with your neighbor and your 
and your cousin and your, you know, I mean, it's just, it just makes sense to try to get along. And so if someone wants, if someone changes their name and I've known people who change their name, that had nothing to do with gender or anything else. They decided they didn't like their first name. They like their middle name or whatever. Look, it's a free world, hopefully one day. And, and let's take a step by just recognizing you call yourself what you want to call yourself. And I will call you the same thing and I'll try to spell it right and pronounce it right. I'll go, I may get both of those wrong, but I'm, I'm trying and I want to because I want to get along. You're people, I'm people, we're on this crazy planet. I want to connect. I'm not willing, although I am willing in certain social circumstances, I just think I'll say the person's name. They, they and them as a pronoun, I'm sorry, unless you're people who are connected, Siamese twins, you know, who are connected at birth, they and them doesn't work. It just doesn't, numerically, it doesn't work. Don't screw up math. Don't screw up math. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, I don't like that particular pronoun. But the other pronouns, if they're reasonable, anybody can do that. Now, some people may have an objection to that. Let's just hear everybody out. We can figure out how to do it. Some people at some point may get their back up and they may get fired for not doing something. Or, you know, it's like uh, we had another uh, commentary this week about a court decision. Uh, or have we run that one yet? But anyway, yeah. Uh, and the, the court decision basically said uh, abortion. We haven't. It's coming next week. Uh, uh, abortion and uh, gender uh surgery, gender assignment surgery, and so on, uh, that they can't force this, you know, Franciscan alliance uh, to perform these. Uh, they, they have a right to say, no, we don't do that. And of course, people should have that right on, on all kinds of things. So it's, it's, we have to respect people and where they are. But there is no part of that that is creating a regime of lying to parents. And we have, we have a society and, and bigger than this. Everybody's not lying to parents. Well, everyone is lying to parents, actually, now that I think of it. But, but uh, what can you say, you know? Uh, at one time or another in your life, uh, unless you're really boring. Um, but but we, we have to realize we cannot have official, okay, it's okay to grab people's kids, put them in a classroom, and then lie about what's going on there. And, and we, we have it in, in terms of, uh, you know, censorship's okay if it's our side censoring, lying's okay if it's our side lying. Uh, and, and I don't know how people can feel that much a part of any of these sides. There's not one side like the, the, the right or the left that's so welcoming. And uh, I mean, they'll roll the, the tanks, both sides over you in a heartbeat, I think, if they, if they can get away with it. So it's, it's, uh, it's amazing that we put up with this. But if we continue to, you know, I, I hear people, I had somebody this week tell me it's, you know, it's too far gone. It's too far gone. America is too far gone. We're still able to speak. We can still own weapons. We're still, I think, the only country in the world where the citizenry has a firepower advantage over the government, thank God. And, uh, and, and people talking about, oh, it's, it's all over. 
it's and there are big demographic things going on. There are big issues uh, uh, about population and and all kinds of things that 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 matter. But from a political standpoint, we have the powers uh, if we can find a way to unify them and uh, and organize them. We have the powers to stop a lot of this, and uh, and people are people are, are are fighting in public schools right now. And it's it's you know here in Virginia, there's a lot of enthusiasm by the fact that a Republican first time in ten years, I think, won any statewide office. They won all of them, and it came out of not just Loudoun County, which is a Democrat county and which voted Democratic in this last election. It just didn't have much of a margin, and it usually has a much bigger one. But it was what the rest of the state of Virginia thought about what happened in Loudoun County that was the difference. And, and you know, that's, that's why I think, you know, th- this election coming up, um, what, 60 days, something like that, uh, this, if it's about abortion uh, and it's about Trump's you know, the latest whatever legal thing with with Trump and January 6th, uh, much more favorable to Democrats. If it's about uh, criminal justice, uh, crime, uh, safety, uh, if it's about economics, uh, if it's about schools, and when it, it it's it's to the Republicans advantage, and when you think about that, when's the last time that you can remember education being the, the Republicans' strong suit? The interesting thing I think about lying to parents is that one group that uh, wants to take children away from parents are cults, you know, in, in sociology and history and so forth. Uh, it used to be religion and cult were almost the same thing, but nowadays a cult is a group that wants to revolutionize society and do it kind of piece by piece take away the children from the parents is the first rule of a of most cults is that you separate the children from the parents and i think this is very dangerous and i can see certainly why people might object to it and i i think that the uh, genderist nonsense is cultic nonsense and i think that that's a good reason not to let it run the school, public schools especially. Public sc- schools are al- allegedly for everybody, but uh, I don't think they do so well. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the unionization there uh, and, the, and the, the whole apparatus around education and there's, is, is corrupt, very corrupt. Uh, and, and it's big money. It's, it's probably the most powerful force in politics. And it's, it's, and they have foot soldiers because of course they got a lot of teachers all over the country and they're all, you know, part of one union or another, not all, but, uh, and of course, you know, the, the, uh, Janice decision and, and others have kind of helped start to change some of that on the, on the unionization front, but the schools are, are, they're, they're, opposing the parents and there's some natural rub there the parents are their boss and at least that's the way i see it the parents pay the taxes it's the parents kids if uh you know nobody when they take their kid to a judo lesson or 
or soccer or dance or whatever um, thinks that the dance instructor or the soccer coach now controls their kid. And, and generally they don't act like they do, but the schools do. And, and it's a different, it's a different mood. None of my kids uh, went to public schools uh, a day. Uh, two of my kids went to private schools and well, I take that back. I guess when, when they were high school age, uh, about to go to college, they did go to public colleges and, and uh, community college. Um, but it's, it's, you know, so I didn't, didn't get a lot of firsthand, but uh, grandkids, other people, I've been to the public schools, I hear people talk. And, and it's a different when, when I was a kid, and I know that was a long time ago. Uh, my parents and and there were there's no fight there was no fight there wasn't my parents weren't asserting some authority and the teachers weren't going oh yes whatever you say these were adult people who were talking to each other but it was clear that my parents had total respect for that teacher and wanted to hear exactly what she wanted them to do and could how could they help or anything else but that at the end of the day they were the boss and there was nothing going on with me that that anybody else was going to tell them what to, you know what was going to happen. And they realized, you know, in certain ways, you had to take your kid out of school. There was no trouble. It's not like it's not like there was a lot of adjudicating. And part of that was that parents weren't constantly fighting. I think school officials on little bitty stuff, and that school officials didn't have huge amounts of stupid rules that they had to follow. I don't remember a lot of teachers complaining about federal mandates in the late 60s and 70s. And, uh, and, and it seems like now, uh, you know, and it's, it's not just teachers who happen to agree with me, it's teachers who, who disagree vehemently with my views and, and so on, who will admit that, you know, they're just tied up all the time with red tape. And that they wish they could teach more. Um, and, and that's the thing. Th this isn't a problem that people have become bad, evil, terrible people. And so the world's hopeless. People who disagree with us politically, most of them want the good things. They want things to work out. They may have all kinds of, you know, uh, problems, but we all do. The problem is when it becomes an official reinforced, money enforced, both in the political realm and education spending just keeps going up, 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 and test scores keep going kind of like this. And, uh, and, and well, look at, the, look at the whole COVID thing. It seems to me the biggest takeaway from COVID is, and this is after what, three years? Uh, two years at least. No, no oh, the better part of three. The schools are still kind of iffy about what they could do or not do. It's the one place that of all the different institutions that people might come to, it's the safest in our society from the from just the demographics of COVID and, and younger people and younger people not only not getting COVID as much, not getting serious cases of it as much at all, and not giving it to adults as much. Um, all of those I believe to be true from what I've read. And, and yet 
we act like that's the landmine. Well, why? Because the teachers union have so much political clout and they don't feel like working because they're scared. And I can understand being scared. I think it's a little irrational, but you're scared, you're irrational. Okay, don't make that the problem of the kids. You got to get another job. You got to do something else. Um, but no, you don't because you have political power because you control the system. And, and the system's going to work for the teachers to that extent. Not, not to have a good work environment because that doesn't matter to the union but to have control politically, that does. And, and, and teachers are gonna have that. And think of what that has meant for a lot of kids, um, I think, and especially wealthier kids, they probably got to take more trips. They got to be with their parents more. Their parents are probably you know relatively intelligent, may have taught them a thing or two. Uh, they didn't do so badly. The truth is for me personally, uh, my youngest, uh, had to come home from college. I had to, and it wasn't my fault. And, you know, we got to go out in the afternoon sometimes and play tennis. And we, you know, she's around. That was very nice. You know, you, you have the empty nest and then no, it's not so empty. And it's, you didn't do anything wrong. She didn't do anything wrong. It's a, it's a great, it's, it, it was a wonderful time for me. In a lot of ways, I didn't have to travel much because I couldn't travel much. Um, so it's, it's different for different people. Um, and, and it just seems to me that, that uh, the, the effect on some folks was positive. Me, I, it's just true. The effect on people who are not as wealthy and people who don't have computers that they can go surf the net and learn something or don't have books on their on their shelves at home uh, and are, are learning from a, a, you know, a Zoom class or something without a computer, you're not there. It, it, this was devastating, devastating for a lot of kids. And, um, and, and again, it's the people who complain about uh, income inequality, other inequalities, these people are disadvantaged, these people are advantaged. And then they run society to just constantly heap advantages on wealthier people and, and put disadvantages on poorer people. And, and, you know, the Democrats talk a good game about the poor, but their policies hurt them, I think, a lot more than Republicans. And I think Republicans would be very smart to start talking about the poor and not just the poor, the middle class, which gets crunched. I, I saw an article today. And uh, it, it, it just a headline. I didn't have time to read it. That was a hundred thousand. Uh, it was the hundred thousand dollars was the was the limit. And uh, it was a university. I can't think of who it was. It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, but a good school, good school. Uh, Princeton, Princeton said they're going to cover tuition. I don't know if it was room and board too, but tuition for any kid whose family is under a hundred thousand dollars. But of course, you know, there are, there are families under $100,000 that are far wealthier than the family that's at 101 uh, in a very, you know, expensive area of the country. Uh, and maybe they have a, a few more kids. So, you know, they, they, they can't quite, you know, what, what are they supposed to do? Uh, years ago, I did a common sense uh, on it. 
you know, when they, they had these different rules they were going to make that, that uh, you'd get certain points for being from a broken home. You'd get certain points from, you know, uh, being below a certain poverty line. It's like, what are you supposed to do when your kids get right about to go to college? You quit your job, divorce your wife, and 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 some of it had criminal stuff. So you moved to an area of town with rampant crime. I mean, this is and 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 people will say, well, of course, no one's going to do that. When you do incentives, uh, you create some people who are going to do that. Some people who are going to do that, and not maybe that exactly, but. Um, this, this is, uh, I think that's something we need to talk about more, Tim, is, is pointing out some of these things in terms of how they have a disproportionate impact on poor people. And, and uh, I'll just mention one more thing. And I don't, you know, it's not the kind of thing you see a story that's easy to work off of. Uh, but I, every time I, I'm cheap, I can't, I still think the prices should be what they were in 1972 or something. And and uh, you know, get a refrigerator and it's like all this money, it's thousands instead of hundreds and, and a washing machine is, you know, and um, it drives me crazy. But part of the, they have gone up in cost. And part of the reason is, is because they're a lot better machine in all kinds of ways, especially in some ways that I suggest, uh, I suspect are very expensive, but in, using less water or other environmentally friendly ways. And, and you know, that there's a trade-off there, but I think a trade-off between, you know, if it, if it really harms the environment a whole lot, then it seems like there's some cause to say, no, you have to do something, even if it makes the cost of the product go up. Uh, on the other hand, if you keep forcing companies to make the product more and more expensive, you create a world in which some people can afford things and other people can't. And one of the, one of the great things about the 20th century is that almost every American could afford an automobile. And so uh, that was a level of wealth and freedom that virtually everyone had or could have if they wanted. In a big city, they might, might choose not to have it. Um, that has become much tougher and it keeps getting tougher because the cost of the cars are just so high. And uh, the same is true with refrigerators. The same is true with, and, and so you think about, I mean, some of the times when I, my wife and I got to say, ouch, gosh, that was a lot of money. Um, and then we think, you know, what do, what do people do who don't make as much, don't have as much? This has got to, I mean, you got four kids and, you know, our kids are grown for the, for the most part, they're on their own. Uh, I guess uh, they're on their own. They're grown for all parts. Uh, and, and so, you know, but, but if you've got a, a family to take care of, if you just got yourself to take care of, it changes, you know, what life is like if, uh, if things are made so expensive that only half the society can afford to have them. Well, certainly cars are getting more expensive, and that's the reasons for that are pretty obvious. Uh, you mentioned, you know, washers and dryers and how they have gotten better. But, you know, the computer that I'm using to record this on right now costs half 
the, the nominal price of the co first computer I bought. Yes. And it is like a thousand times better. I couldn't have done this on the Mac Plus that I bought in 1987. Let's just put it that way. There are no regulations telling Dell or, or whoever, not Lenovo, that's, uh, that's Chinese government. Don't buy Lenovo. I didn't know Lenovo. Yes. Of course, I only buy it. I'm a sucker for Apple. So that's, that's yeah, there you go. You're safe. You're safe. And you know, I'm no fan of Apple. So that's, that's how, uh, you know, Apple's fine. At least it's not Chinese state, state run company, uh, or state owned. Um, so, so, uh, we should talk about some of these other scripts. I figure we've, we've, uh, we've got a good bit of time here. And, and uh, I wanted to mention two uh, of our four scripts this week and encourage people to go take a look and then talk a little bit about uh, the, the one on Friday, uh, San Fran scheme scuttled. Uh, but, but we had two others. Um, one was collusion. And this is about, uh, there is a lawsuit against the Biden administration and its collusion. Uh, the, the appropriate, you know, uh, I think I think correctly collusion with big tech, social media. We're beginning to get discovery in that case. And we're seeing that they are communicating with the Biden administration. And they are looking to please uh, government officials. And there have been threats made by people in public office in Washington against those social media companies. There is money changing hands in all kinds of different deals with those social media companies. And uh, it's a problem. And, and some people I think will, will look at it and say, well, you know, these are people, Biden, other people in the government, they're free to talk to anybody they want to talk to. They don't have a right at any time, not one second of public time, do they have a right to be talking to somebody about squelching anybody's speech for any reason. Um, and, and so, I mean, they can prosecute crimes, they can do all kinds of things, they can talk to anybody they want to, but they cannot talk about taking away someone's speech. And the social media companies are private companies. This is these are public officials on public time, and it's a it's a serious problem. And again, it's it's not quite lying, but we live in a society where, you know, a a uh, institution, public institution as as ubiquitous as the public schools, uh, we're going to find case after case of them official policy to lie to parents. And we see the government meeting and talking and colluding with social media uh, to censor certain points of view is particularly on uh, medical issues. And I think some people are out there, uh, well, medical stuff, someone could die. Well, you know, we're all gonna die, one. Uh, people should remember that. Uh, and, and medical stuff, as much as anything, because it's important. That's why you have robust debate. 
with a, you know, you, you, you don't have robust debate about movies. Well, maybe you're stuck watching some rotten movies. You don't have robust debate about medical issues. Lots of people die. Lots of people. And, uh, yeah, oh, so the other one that I encourage people to, to go take a look at is a plausible theory. And this is a story that in some ways it's too bad we're giving it a short shrift here because one of the things we complain about in it is, uh, maybe we'll take a minute, uh, is that the media has given us that short shrift. This is Trump's lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and, and uh, others, uh, the FBI, uh, for colluding against his campaign and doing all the phony Russian dossier and so on and so on. It's interesting that it has gotten so little play because a piece in the uh, uh, Epoch Times uh, goes into some detail about a very plausible theory that, in essence, Trump has a lot of stuff that is pertaining to this lawsuit. And, and I think there's all kinds of questions we don't know the answer to about, you know, I, 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 we've never said, I've never said in common sense that we know that Trump, you know, it's, it's the FBI did a raid that they had no reason to do, nor have we said that it's clear that they have the goods and therefore it's okay for them to have done this raid. If they need to, in my view, they need to charge Trump and convict Trump of a crime, or the raid is always, to me, going to look like an overreach. And if they charge Trump with a crime uh, and don't convict him, then I think it, I, it's this is this is very troubling territory. And I think we should uh, a wiser head should prevail. We should be calm about things and not jump to conclusions. But of course, we live in a society where major stories like this lawsuit get almost no oxygen because they don't feed the narrative of most of the media, which is on the left. And so it, it's a problem. And the point of your piece, of the Epic Times piece, was to explore the idea that the raid was to uh, scuttle the lawsuit was to somehow stop the lawsuit from yes. getting the goods on and maybe protect people in the FBI because it's clearly it's clear that many people in the FBI did wrong that, that we know that they did wrong right, that's, that's right, very very clear we, and we so far they've that. not been prosecuted most of them and it's also and I'm glad you mentioned that because knowing that I just kind of assumed that of course there are people out there like what the heck is he talking about and, and the other thing that's is that people should recognize and I don't think we keep it in our heads long enough is the FBI has been engaged in illegal activity since it began. Uh, it began under yes. Woodrow Wilson to prosecute free speech of war dissidents. We talked about that like a, a, a week ago, that the long history of the FBI, when Pence said something about, well, let's not attack the FBI. Well, yeah. let's be, let's be, you know, wide eyed about the FBI. They have been a problem in all kinds of ways. And now in recent times, they've been a huge problem in elections and in partisan ways, and in partisan ways to some degree. Um, I think that Comey probably was trying to help Hillary Clinton, but but he, he didn't manage to do a very good job of it um, in in 2016. I mean, I think coming out 
late in that campaign to make an announcement about some, you're opening up some investigation. That's not right. And the truth is his first let Hillary off the hook by I'll spend 20 minutes getting my mug on television, beating up on Hillary Clinton, and that will be her punishment for the crimes that she committed. And, and, and look, I'm not sure if I were in his position, I would have prosecuted those crimes. I might have decided, I hadn't looked at it all. Um, I might have decided this is not in the better interest of our country as a whole. And so I just don't want to create vile feelings and bad blood that last a long time. Maybe you let it go. But it is, it is the height of wrong for government officials to come out and attack people where they have no way to, to respond, no way to come back. You file charges against them, they can take you to court and, and let's have the trial. And if they win, they're vindicated. But if you just run out there and, and use your public mouthpiece to, to you know, attack somebody where they don't have their day in court, that's not, that's not right. And uh, and I think he did it for his own, you know, kind of selfish motivations as head of the FBI and as a hotshot in Washington. And I think he also did it to, thinking I'm helping Hillary after all by, you know, if you're not going to prosecute her, don't prosecute her and shut the heck up. Yeah, well, I, I think Comey was worse than that. So uh, my theory is that he, 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 he was the man <laughs> from the generous. deep state. Oh, yeah, you're always very generous and very nice. Uh, I think that he was the man from the deep state who was sent to blackmail Trump and that the whole thing, he was part of the blackmail scheme. I think all presidents are blackmailed. I think the reason Barack Obama changed his policies on everything when he got in office wasn't because he never believed in the original things that he ran on, but because they had the goods on him. And they gave him the chance to be powerful and do what they want. But, you know, but then I'm, I'm very conspiratorial about the deep state now, because I think it's very, very powerful. I don't think it's a I don't think the deep state just pushes paper. Well, I, I'm with you on the deep state. I just I, I don't I, I think there is a deep state. I think that can be determined, you know, by by a good definition uh, and 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 so on. But I I. You know, I, I don't want to I don't want to say that they did anything that I don't know that they did. I think that that without saying, you know, they have something on everyone, you can see that presidents come in and don't seem to do the same sorts of things. And and even with with uh, Donald Trump, um, he's at war with the deep state. And yet. On, on the Kennedy stuff, he's holding back still. 50 years later, he's holding stuff back, even after he said he wasn't going to hold stuff back. Uh, and did, what we're talking about is, is uh, there have been things that have been classified about the Kennedy assassination since 1963. 63, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and, and Trump running for president says, I'm going to declassify that when asked. And and then doesn't declassify it all. And uh, what kind of secrets need to still be secret 50 years later? Uh, almost 50 years. So well, I think they're deep state secrets. I think that, well, I think the deep state killed. Right, Trump. right. That, well, that's, that's what I think. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> one of the interesting things about what's happening with, with Trump right now and this and the, these 
you know, top secret and classified stuff and so on. The deep state wants, wants presidents to not have the power to declassify stuff. And there's a lot of disagreement uh, about whether they do have, could he have plausibly, you know, and, and some people take the position that a president can declassify anything at any time. He doesn't have to tell anybody. So that it would be impossible to say you took a classified document or you um, other people say, no, there's a set procedure or whatever. I, I tend to think I have the ones who say there's a set procedure, set procedures are not law. And when I hear there's a law and here's what the law says, OK, that 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 would be a little bit different. But I, I kind of think that they don't prosecute him on any of those things because I don't think that they can convict. And of course, they would be prosecuting him in Washington, D.C., where he did not get 10 percent of the vote. So uh, it, it, if you, you know, it is certainly possible that he'd get a jury in Washington that that he wouldn't be able to say very much that would that would help him. Well, they're trying to they they would like to do to Trump what they have done and are doing to Alex Jones. It turns out Alex Jones isn't getting a fair shake in court. He's actually being railroaded. And it's uh, it's uh, the, the, although the Alex Jones story is just goes deeper and weirder the more you get that this whole thing is nuts. That these these cases are, are well, but but be specific a little bit on, on Alex Jones. This is is this the the, the Newtown case? Yeah, the, the the business about the Sandy Hook and so forth, right? Uh, and and the crisis actors and so forth. Uh, there's there's really no case there. It turns out the more you look at, it, there is no case because well, there's for a number of reasons. For instance, uh, he never named any of the people that are suing him. That means in law there ain't no case. But they're putting it through because they want to make sure. I, I do think that I, I think what he did is despicable. Oh, of course, it's despicable. I, mean, I, I really. I but despise, he also apologized. He also apologized like twenty sometimes on air, and it was not allowed to be said in court. Oh, that's and this is despicable. I've never heard him apologize, but I, I hadn't watched much. I'm not a big fan, and I have not yeah. followed it. It's just that I've followed uh, Robert Barnes and a few others. Uh, who make a really good case that this is the biggest anti-free speech uh, attack in broad daylight in American history. And I think that they're trying to do it for, to, they'd like to do it to Trump, but the question is, can they do get away with it with Trump? And they seem to be getting away with it in terms of uh, Alex Jones. Uh, and they really want Alex Jones off the air because for obvious reasons, I mean, he's a nut. He's a popular nut though. In, well, in, the, in the sense that he, he has an audience and, and he's very anti- government anti-deep state so right also they don't like him because even at his nuttiest half the time he's right that's really really bad <laughs> that's, for a, them. that's the world we live in let's jump to uh san francisco scheme scuttled which uh <laughs> this is what a what a crazy situation uh there's a proposition k in well there was there was a proposition k in San Francisco, and the goal of its organizer was to get Amazon to make Amazon pay for being a wealthy company. And you know, I'm I'm no fan of Amazon, really. I'm Jeff Bezos isn't my best buddy uh, politically, uh, but you know, it's unconstitutional. 
at any level in our society to pass laws aimed at somebody, to get somebody, to make somebody pay and nobody else. To This is what equal protection is all about. And it works. It should work for the poor. It should work for the rich. And this, the goal of this initiative, uh, they got the signature, they spent half a million dollars, got the signatures, uh, had enough, put it on the ballot. And it was only taken off because they basically said, oh, we misled people. And they wanted it off because it was going to get hammered. They're trying to create a uh, guaranteed income just what just there's not enough there's not enough riffraff on the san francisco streets they've got to double down and do more so the stipend they're paying to bums uh which i understood used to be about three or four hundred dollars a month uh uh paying bums to basically be on their streets and you'd think for that kind of money you could get better bums but uh uh i still think the uh the uh People in uh, in New Orleans are much better bums. Bums in New York, much more thoughtful and and witty, charming. Uh, it's true, actually. Uh, San Francisco, though, they're they're kind of obnoxious. They're like entitled bums. Anyway, uh, the idea that that that's what you want to do in San Francisco is go one step further, but. By doing it, they were going to fund it all by, you know, beating up Amazon in a dark alley and uh, telling everybody else how nice it was that we can now spend their money. And they wrote it like idiots. And it doesn't really touch Amazon at all, or it wouldn't have. But it would have been crushing to a lot of the small businesses in San Francisco. And they also found out it would have cut revenue to the city, not increased it. So it wouldn't have funded their plan. But you know, this is when at first, <laughs> you know, you endeavor to deceive, uh, you know, this is, this is nasty business. And the funny thing is you could look at it and say, well, this is one guy doing the, the initiative, uh, but legislatures continually go after certain people and do certain things to give this person an advantage or that person. And the, the truth is a pretty decent amount of time they misfire. Uh, you know, they, they don't write the best laws always. Um, and it also, it reminds me in, in uh, Michigan, there's a, a measure proposal two, which the main thrust of it seems to be to write into the constitution a prohibition against having any voter ID requirement. That you would literally, it would say in the constitution that you could always prove your identity in order to vote by simply signing a statement that you are who you say you are. No, no, uh, you don't need a photo ID. You don't need a, a rent letter, a mail. You don't need anything. Show up, sign the form, your vote counts, that's in the constitution. And they're referring to that as voter ID. They provide voter ID. Uh, but it also turns out that the way uh, they've written it, it appears that it would wipe out any prohibition against felons. And I'm, I'm, I'm against, I, I think once somebody serves their, their time, 
their rights should be restored so that they should be able to vote. But that's, you know, it, it's not the biggest issue in the world. Um, and I, I am a felon from having not registered for the draft uh, very publicly. And, uh, and, and I can vote in Virginia legally uh, and could vote in my home state of Arkansas legally after I serve my sentence. And, and so I, I think that's reasonable. And I think some people could say, no, I, there's certain crimes, murder, rape, you know, treason or something that you wouldn't get your vote back. It, it, reasonable pe people could disagree. But this measure by its sweeping language of all the rights everybody has every second when it comes to voting would allow murderers in prison to vote. It would allow in some small cities, their local prison would have the majority of the vote. Uh, and, and literally somebody wouldn't be able to vote because they were murdered, but their murderer would still be able to vote. And it's, it's you know, did they intend to do this? Well, you, you almost can't put anything past them, but probably not. They're just idiots who were like a bunch of witches around a cauldron, like throw this, you know, this hair of dog in, throw this in because they're scheming. And, and uh, I think people would be surprised at how much legislating starts with scheming. Well, I would agree with that. <laughs> I mean, they, they seem like schemers. That's what it is. But this guy here, especially this, I forget his name, it starts with an E. Um, he was especially uh, incompetent at making laws, at making a, a legislation. Yes. And, uh, but you but were maybe also not mentioned... especially. Maybe not as especially as some people might think. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, you know, there was attempts by several states, like with Vermont was one, to set up their own uh, state nationalized, uh, you know, statized healthcare system. And they couldn't get any of the numbers to work, right? They just, they didn't work and they had to abandon the project. That's because some projects that are very difficult to do really are difficult to do. And that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people try to do things at the national level is that it's such a cluster of, of problems that uh, you, if you get something through, it's hard to get rid of it. And even if it's a disaster, it stays with us a long time. Right. Yes. Uh, that's one of the yes. things they don't want to do is they don't want to test their. That's the interesting thing about progressivism is that it when it first came on the scene in the late 19th century and early 20th century, they talked about the science of how you make legislation and you experiment. And they even talked about the 50 or the 48 states of laboratories, uh, experiment, of, laboratories democracy. of democracy so they can experiment and see how uh, see how programs went. But modern progressivism has nothing to do with that. They don't do uh, rational, experimental, piecemeal social engineering. They want to do everything in as big a gulps as possible. So in that sense, the San Francisco scheme is kind of a, it's kind of a nice little uh, tip of the hat to the old methods, but they should learn from it. It didn't work. Their scheme was dumb. Maybe you should give up and do something better. And that was actually your point, I think despising Amazon because they're successful. I mean, there are probably, there are some reasons to, to sort of dislike uh, Jeff Bezos in, in terms of, uh, you know, the Washington Post is a rag, but, uh, but the fact that Amazon is successful is not one of them. And if there's any government subsidy they're getting or other help, well, I'm against it. Um, but I just, this, this idea that whoever is successful at anything is evil, is it, it, it will not lead to a lot of extra success. 
Now, I didn't look, you know, behind the scenes of your piece too deeply, but I wonder if one of the reasons it didn't go down very well is that if you tax Amazon, let's just say you tax that kind of transaction, well, that means that people are going to have to pay more somehow, or else Amazon will have to pull out because they, if they can't pass the, uh, the, the cost on to the consumer. So that means that the thing that you're tacking to milk off of will disappear i mean that's one of the problems with all these things is what is yes. the what are the incentives and what does it lead to i don't get how people think like this as if this is just an endless series uh, endless source of endless money that's just not how markets yes. work that's not how wealth works and all, all those people buying stuff from amazon they're getting something it's benefiting them so what you're doing is you're basically taxing them for getting something of benefit well that's bizarre. I mean, that's not a, do we want less things that benefit us? That's the whole thing. Everybody understands that when you tax something, it makes it more expensive. You know, but they, they don't, they don't think that far. They think this, there's money there. And it's like New York and New Jersey have forced out almost every millionaire in, in their state. It's, it's uh it's insane. They think, well, they're they're they they're millionaires. They're billionaires. We'll just grab their money. You know what? They'll leave, and and I'll help them go because it's not right. And and you know, people. I I recognize that having people with wealth is a good thing. I'd like to be one of those people someday, and I don't think I'm ever gonna be. But it would be nice to be one of those people. Uh, I'm probably not, you know, smart enough and disciplined enough to become one. And that's not really my goal. People have different goals, but we need those people. We need those people because they spend money and that creates an economy where there's all kinds of things that can be done. And because they have a concentration of wealth, the government isn't the only game in town. If you want to do something privately, there's private money in the United States of America, and it's on every side of almost every issue you can imagine. And so that's a wonderful thing. It means that we're not all disarmed. Even those of us who aren't millionaires and billionaires, they're out there. And if we've got a better idea, we can go to them. It's not just, you know, the government or the government in the church and, you know, different. Most of, of the you know, one of the wonders of modern America is that more and more people have wealth and enough wealth that they can make a difference in their community. And thank God they're there. Well, that was four pieces for the week. Yeah, and we were we we were longer than usual. So maybe we maybe this next week with five pieces, we'll uh, we'll be back on our uh, thirty minute. Uh... You want to stop here? Uh, we probably should. Do we have anything else? I, I wondered if you wanted to rant about the queen or not. No. Sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, you know, we should just because it's, um, it, you know, it, it's, I have a friend who's like, don't tell anyone you ever wrote that piece or anything else. And so, I'll, uh, but I'm going to tell my people, uh, my, my peeps uh, about this. And some may know, I don't like monarchies. Never have never will have no interest in them think it's ridiculous it hurts me in jeopardy 
all those questions about the, you know, what, what was this, the tutors or the whatever, I, I don't get any of them right. Uh, I wrote a piece many years ago, 2007, I think it was, uh, when Liz Windsor, Queen Elizabeth, uh, uh, came to America and there was all this hubbubaloo. Uh, there was a lot of talk and articles about it and so on. She was coming to Virginia and, um, and it, of course, it turned out that the crowds were very underwhelming. People aren't as into the queen as you might think. Seems like it may just be the media that's so into the queen. Um, I said in that piece, and I think to this day, uh, may she rest in peace. I don't think she was a terrible, evil woman. I didn't say in this piece that she was a terrible, evil woman. But I will tell you now the title of this piece which is my favorite title of all time. This may be my favorite piece of all time. At townhall.com, it was the one piece I got the most negative reactions. I used to, I used to, uh, with my middle kid, uh, at that particular time, we would, I remember one night we stayed up late reading the comments and just some of them were really good on my side. Lots of them were, you know, she basically won World War II single-handedly and so on. But my title of the piece was, because it was the first thought I had about it, which is always the best one, The Queen of England Makes Me Sick. And it was all about why are we, especially in America, I mean, I can understand the Brits, they've got some, it's, it's sort of like almost, uh, you know, I, I moved from New Jersey when I was eight years old to Arkansas and, and from the north to the south. And I, I didn't really get the Confederate stuff and so on. And, you know, I, I, I was into the Civil War and the history, but, you know, I didn't, uh, I, somehow I didn't align with, with that. It seems kind of like you can, you can understand where people have kind of a historical connection to, uh, you know, to that sort of, of to, to the Confederacy, because my grandpappy, uh, or, or this is our country's history, and, and, you know, look, we, we all recognize the queen or the, the new King Charles won't be putting people to death in the Tower of London. But, you know, the fact that they, that they did, you know, centuries ago is, is not really a good thing. And, uh, and, but, but the biggest deal I have is what about us in the United States? What's, why are we making this big fuss about this? And especially because it, it just seems like we pick certain things <clears throat> to make a huge deal out of and then just forgive, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of why is she the queen because of some bloodline and, and she, you know, it's just like the, half the royal families from some other country and this country and and, and I know I'm not speaking from any level of knowledge about any of this because I have refused my whole life to learn any of it. I just, I hear it. I think it's ridiculous. And I like, please mind, do not remember any of those things. Um, but, but I, I, you know, it's, I hate to see that she has passed away. She was 97. She had a long life. I would have liked it better had she at some point just said, this is silly and I renounce the crown. And if someone else wants to do it, I, I have no problem with the British having this as kind of a, you know, uh, 
a, a tourist trap for lack of a better a better term um people want to go see it and the changing of the guard and the palace and everything okay but make some money off of it and don't give it all to the i mean you can hire someone you don't have to give it all to the to the queen and anyway i i think it's uh i think our obsession with it is is odd very odd and not really healthy and and uh and I, I have total understanding uh, British folks who who like it. Uh, great. You know, but uh, <laughs> you pay for it. I know. Uh, but but Americans, what what are you talking about? Yeah, no, I thought that 1776 and then the, you know, and later developments after that would have settled the matter somewhat. Uh, but uh, it's not the money that I mean, I don't really care what they do with their their their, you know, money and and she does own a lot of stuff from way back when so she she's really rich her family is very very rich they even if, very they, rich. if they did not get any stipends whatsoever and i don't think they get much but, by... but even that money that money from way back where sure. did that come from i oh, kind of sure. don't think it came from a from a uh you know hard work and and you know well it's the old conquest game uh and uh but my problem actually is with the philosophical concept of sovereignty and she is a sovereign, and and you know my my political background is um, maybe it's a, just a conceit, but it's the people that are sovereign, and not even the people on Moss. It's the individuals who are sovereign. I believe in individual liberty. So this whole thing about kings and monarchs, I find just so weird. Uh, I mean, I, I'm but I'm not like you. I actually find it fascinating all this weird stuff. For the same reason that some people are really interested in serial killers, um, is that this is a per- I put them on the same level. Well, there you I are. put them on the same level. Uh, you know, I'm, fascinated. I'm fascinated, I've never by been fascinated by that. A lot of people are by all that, and it's like you know, but giving them res- a great deal of respect that's all very weird. I, and I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't, it's the waste of money. I don't care about so much. It's their money. And, you know, England can do all the stupid things they want. Right, in one sense. Right. But human beings like this weirdness. And maybe we're kind of weirdly immune because we don't follow the Kardashians either. Right. And there are people in America for whom the Kardashians are, might as well be royalty. And well, I find that. Any weird. of that, any of that, um, you know, you can, you can esteem a, uh, an actor or a musician or a ball player or whatever uh, without kind of the, the celebrity hero status stuff. Well, sure. Which just seems like a big mistake. I like some musicians, even though, you know, I don't really know much about them. I just think they're good musicians and one admires excellence. Uh, I, I'm mystified by the Kardashian appeal. Uh, part of it because of just matters of taste, and just as I'm mystified <laughs> by mystified, that was tastefully said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and the Windsor family. It is Windsor. Is that? It's not the. It is Windsor. What was uh, the original German name that they changed during World War One? What was that? Did they did something did, did something bother them during World War One? Yeah, it, it was inconvenient. <laughs> well, their cousin went on a rampage. They were pals. Uh, oh, oh, the letters from the but but why my memory can't? It's not Hohenzollern. It's not Hohenzollern, is it? Hohenzollern. Oh, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. That's what well, I'm. The, you're the wrong person to ask. I am the wrong person to ask. I have I have fought hard not to know. Okay, I think we're done. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. 
So that was another episode of This Week in Common Sense. And the fact check at the end is the house of Saxe, Coburg, and Gotha. Or Gotha, right? That is the name, the family name of the royals of Britain that changed to Windsor during World War I. Okay, we got that straight. We're done here. Thank you for joining us. Look us up at thisiscommonsense.org. Always at thisiscommonsense.org. Mm-hmm.